Well, thank you guys for leading in worship today. I'm excited to be here this morning. Acts chapter number one today. We're stepping out. We are in the middle of walking through uh, the book of 1 Peter. And uh, we've been out of that book for a couple of weeks. We're going to be out this week and one more week. And then we'll be back into our walk through 1 Peter. Uh, this morning, we are talking uh, in Acts chapter number one. And we're going to look at the first few verses of scripture. And the sermon title is Excited and Ignited. Excited and ignited. And uh, when you're talking about Easter time, Easter time is always a time where everybody's so excited. And, uh, and, then, and, then, and then Easter comes and goes. And it's like, now what? And that's exactly where uh, the, the early church found itself. Uh, in the book of Acts. It's an incredible book. We're not walking through the book, but we're just looking at uh, how can we be uh, excited and ignited today. Billy Graham, if you, everybody in the room probably knows Billy Graham. That's a safe assumption. Uh, uh, one, of the, one of the most well-known evangelists in, 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 in the last hundred years, uh, uh, Billy Graham. So Billy Graham, not everybody got excited about Billy Graham. In fact, uh, Billy Graham was going to do a crusade in a city, and uh, a group of pastors actually got together and talked about that they would, didn't want Billy Graham's crusade coming to their city. And, uh, and the reason that they gave for it was because they made this statement. They said that if Billy Graham crusade comes to town, he's going to influence our people and he's going to set our church back 50 years if you know Billy Graham Crusade, they would have George Beverly Shea, and he would go, and he would sing, right? And, and he would sing some of the great hymns of the faith, and uh, just as I am, without one plea, whatever it might have been. And so they said, he'll set it back 50 years. And so, and so Billy Graham was asked the question. Billy Graham was asked, uh, what do you think about the statement they made? And, uh, and he said, well, <clears throat> I don't want to set the church back 50 years. I want to set it back 2,000 years. And uh, just going back to saying, hey, there was something special in the early church that's not existing today. They were excited and they were ignited. And it's incredible when you look at the journey of the early church and who God used and how he used them. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 26 and following, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. What he's simply saying is this, hey, God can use anybody to do his great work. God uses the simple. God uses the ordinary to do his extraordinary. And when you look back there at that first church, it's a Amazing! Some of the things that happened when you're looking at it, when it was even birth, there was 120 disciples and they were getting, to, getting together, they were gathering together. And at the end of the day, by the time they finished their service, they had 3,000 people get baptized. Incredible, incredible day uh, in the life of the church. Early church got birthed when the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. And I just think about what they did. We read through scripture. We read through the book of Acts. And uh, in the book of Acts, it tells us that they literally were a people that had this reputation. They turned their world upside down. 
They didn't leave the world the way they found it. They turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think about where we are today. And there are hundreds, even in this own building, much less the church. We We have millions of people. And yet it's the church being influenced by the world rather than the world being influenced by the church. What's going on in the church? What's happening in the world? You know, when you think about what we have today and when you think about what they had in yesteryear, you know, they didn't have buildings and they didn't have budgets. They didn't have fancy bands. They didn't have all the bells and whistles. But what they did have is they were excited about a risen Savior and they were ignited by the Holy Spirit of the living God doing a great work in them and through them. That's what they had. And do you know that today we have the same thing and then some? In fact, we have all the budgets and we have the buildings and we have the bands, but I'm telling you, we're missing out on some power, some power. And this morning, I I just want to, uh, I pray to God, I pray to God this morning that we would be a people that, that, that we could say, hey, me, I want to be excited. I want to say I'm ignited by the Holy Spirit of the living God to do his great Work. I'm excited about this text of scripture. <clears throat> when you look at this first church, though, when you do look at the first church, here's what happens along the way. So the first church did have its struggles. If you read through, and I encourage you to go back and read. It's a great book to read. Uh, but when you read about the first church, you know, you know, they had a lot of different struggles along the way, but the struggles weren't necessarily. They did suffer persecution from the outside, but it wasn't what happened on the outside that really caused them to trip and caused them to stumble and caused the letters to be written. The letters were written because because there were things going on on the inside. There were things going on. In fact, when you look at the early church, what was happening is they said, hey, there were, there were people that would come into the church, the early church, and say, man, we're religious experts. We know how to do this thing. And, and, and there was major transition happening in the church. And, and, and so the religious experts would say, hey, I know that that's the Jesus way, but we want to do it the Jewish way. That's the way we know how to do things. And they wanted to stifle, and they wanted to say, we want to go back. And that's just not how a church grows. Never has been, never will be. And today, you still have the same things happening in the lives of churches. In fact, when you're talking about uh, uh, the priority, what's the number one priority for the church's existence? And, 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 And it's multifaceted. When you're talking about the purpose for the church, multifaceted. But what's 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 gotta be at the top of the list? What's gotta be the one thing? I I would say the one thing would be we want to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to reach the perishing. We want to be the salt. We want to be the light. We want to be what we call a great commission Christian. What's a great commission Christian? Jesus said this. He said, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. A great commission Christian embraces the purpose for which we even exist Do you know that George Barna did a survey? George Barna did a survey of the church and they talked about priorities and they had opportunity to to pick and choose. What's the great priority in the life of the church? Do you know that only 11% of born-again believers said that it's to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know what we do? We do have the buildings, the budgets, The bands and all the other B's. That's the only three B's I could think of. (laughs) But they become our primary purpose if we're not careful. 
And we focus on many things, but not the main thing. And as a result, what happens is this. We become religious people trying to maintain a religious establishment. But God says, I want more for you. <laughs> I want more for you. So let me ask you a question. Before we get into the text this morning, here's what I want to do. Just asking the question. And you just got to draw a circle around yourself. God, examine my heart. I'm not talking about let's look at everybody else because a lot of times that's what we do. But God, look at my heart. How would you describe your faith journey right now? How would you describe your faith journey right now? Could you say, could you say, I'm excited <laughs> and I'm ignited and I'm anticipating something even now? Or would you say, my religious journey, my faith journey has become a dull habit? I just go to church. Sometimes I read my Bible. And that's the extent. It's just kind of a dull habit. How would you describe? Your journey. You know, I believe that God wants to use us to do an incredible work in this world. In fact, I've heard it said this way. <clears throat> we will not win the world by criticism of it, which we're good at that. I'm good at that. I'm an expert. <laughs> by criticism of it or conformity to it, but by combustion within it of lives ignited by the Holy Spirit. To be excited and ignited, we must keep the main thing the main thing. So the question today is, what is the main thing? What is the main thing? How can I experience what God has for me? What is the main thing? Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1 and following. The Bible says, <clears throat> the first account, I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. And after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you had heard of from me. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus 
who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And, uh, and so what an incredible, incredible account. How do we keep the main thing the main thing? When you're looking at this text of scripture, exciting days in the life of the early church getting ready to be birthed. But, uh, but, but number one, what we have to remember is simply this. It's just a couple of things. But God's given us a message. We have a God-given message to proclaim to the nations. There's a God-given message to proclaim to the nations. He says in verse number one, the first account, and so this is just a continuation. Uh, when you're talking about reading through Scripture, the first account would be the Gospel of Luke. Luke has written the Gospel of Luke, and in the Gospel of Luke, he talked about the physical ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in his first account, and that's the Gospel of Luke. And he continues writing in this letter in the book of Acts, and it's Luke that's writing, and so it's, a, it's the second account. It's the continuation. And so in the first one, he talked about the physical body of Jesus Christ. And now he says, but now I'm going to talk about the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. And that would include you and me. And so he says in the first account, <clears throat> I composed Theophilus. And, and, and by the way, he's, he's addressing Theophilus. Theophilus, we're not sure. Some people would say that's a specific individual. Others would say, well, no, he's just talking about <clears throat> the lover of God, uh, uh, the one who loves God. Uh, uh, that's, 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 so, so that would include whosoever, right, that loves God. We're not exactly sure who he's talking to there, uh, but nonetheless, he says Theophilus, and then he says, hey, there's a message to proclaim, and when you're talking about this message to proclaim until the day taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, when you look at verse number one, about all the things that he began to do and to teach. And that's what the Great Commission is all about. I want you to go and I want you to share all of these things, to teach all of these things. You have a message to proclaim. And when you're talking about the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's really two ways that we do that. Number one is one way is nonverbal. The other way is verbal. And you got to have both. And they've got to be consistent. In other words, you have to, number one, show Jesus Christ, but then also you have to share Jesus Christ. It's a twofold approach when you're talking about this message. And you got to have both, or the message will not be clear. How do you show the message of Jesus Christ? Well, here's how you show the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible, in fact, we can go back to Philippians. In Philippians chapter number 2 and in verses number 3 and 4 talks about Jesus Christ and what it takes to be able to show uh, the message of Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for for the interests of others. And so he says, hey, you've got you've to be a person that says, I'm going to lay myself aside. When do you get a chance to stand up for yourself? I don't see it. I can stand up for the Savior, but myself I lay aside. <clears throat> so how do you manifest him? How do you show him? Well, you know how you show, you know what, how you show Jesus to the world? The Bible says there's the fruit of the Spirit. Right? So, so if you're saved, if you're saved, and we're going to get there in just a minute. If you're saved, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit of the living God living within you. And, and he's doing a work that he began when you got saved. And he begins to change you on the inside, and he manifests his fruit. We call it the fruit of the Spirit, right? In the book of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, that's how, you want to show Jesus to the world? Be fruity. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit. Be loving. Be kind. God, help us to make sure that we, again, show our message to the world. But we can't be content with merely showing the message. Jesus didn't just come and give us an example, but he gave us the word. You got to share the word of God. The Bible, in fact, talks about it in Romans chapter number 10, verse 14 and following. Romans 10, beginning in verse 14. How then will they call on him? They, we're talking about people who are perishing. The world. Family, brothers and sisters, moms and dads, co-workers, perishing. He said, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And we're not talking about just me. We're talking about a proclaimer of the gospel. All of us have been entrusted with dynamite. How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And they need to hear the word. But the question is, how will they hear if I'm a silent witness? If I'm a silent witness, I'm good for nothing. You know what you can share? Your story. That's what a witness is. A witness is one who tells what they know to be true. What they've seen, what they heard, what they know to be true. That's what a witness is. Sharing my story. It's amazing. Do you know, do you know how much influence God has entrusted to you? Seriously. He, he's given you dynamite power. Dynamite power. God help me just to be faithful to deliver the message, we have a message to be delivered. And I wonder, are we delivering that message to the world? God, help us to deliver his message. He says, here's how you're going to go about doing it. Here's the method. He begins in verse number three. To these, he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so he says, part of the method would be this. It includes, it has to include some proof. And so Jesus Christ himself for 40 days appeared, right? We're, we're talking about post-resurrection here. It's been some 40 days and Jesus Christ, we can read about the appearances. He appeared to many of the apostles individually, some of them in groups. He appeared to as many as 500 at one time. He says, there is a risen Savior. There is a risen Savior. Be excited because Jesus is alive. There's a convincing proof of that. And so, and so the question would be, well, what's our convincing proofs today? What, what are the convincing proofs that we have today? Well, one of them would be the infallible Word of God. The infallible word of God. That's a convincing proof. When you're talking about something that has been criticized and analyzed more than any book on the face of the planet and yet comes out on the other side of it saying, hey, it is true. The infallible word of the living God. And, uh, and, but, but part of the problem, part of the problem is this. We're not proclaiming the word of God as we ought. There's a message to proclaim, and we're not proclaiming the word of God. And, and we do that as churches. A lot of times as churches, when we get together, what's happening is we'd be, rather be more politically correct than we had biblically correct. And you're not entrusted by God Almighty to be politically correct, but to be biblically correct. And it's not just in pulpits. It's also us as people, wherever we find ourselves. 
God said, I'm entrusting you with my word. And when you're talking about being trusted with the word of God, uh, the apostle Paul said it like this over in the book of Romans, Romans chapter one. And in verse number 16, the apostle Paul said, hey, uh, it's all about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power, it's the dynamite of God. I think about that and I think, man, God, God said, I want you to be dynamite. You got dynamite, you got the gospel. If we got the gospel, then how come about the biggest difference we make is like a little poppet? God help me to be faithful and understanding. What are we talking about? What we're talking about here is just understanding that God has a purpose for you, significance, a life that's abundant. So I want you to be my witnesses. You've got, you've got a message to carry, and here's how you carry it. Number one, with convincing proofs. You got the word of God, number one. But number two, I'll tell you another convincing proof uh, that, that people want to see, and that would be a changed life. <laughs> a changed life. In other words, how do you know that Jesus is real? Watch. I'll show you. God help me to show the world. That's why Jesus, when he was talking, Jesus, remember in, in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus Christ, when he was talking, he said, hey, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. What do you mean the light of the world? I want others to see me in you. A life that's changed is, an, is a proof to show the world. God help me. That's why as a believer, hey, that's why as a believer, we never have the right to lose it. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's a struggle. Do y'all struggle with that? <laughs> I do. But I don't have the right to lose it because people are perishing and they need to see proof that, man, there is a God that no matter what happens, he loves unconditionally. He's patient. And he's kind. And he's good. God help me <clears throat> to show proof to a world that's desperate to see proof in this world. But there's also power. When you're talking about the method, how do you go about doing? How do you go about doing what's going to happen along the way? Well, man, there's power. The Bible says in verse number 4 and 5, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jump down to verse number 8, and the Bible goes on to say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the world. And so the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Man, there's power uh, in the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting when you're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, because sometimes people get afraid. Like, do we believe in that as Baptists? And, uh, and at the end of the day, you got to say, what does the Bible teach about baptism of the Holy Spirit of God? What does the Word of God say? Do you know that in the Bible, and I would encourage you to go back and do a study of the, uh, of, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what you'll find in Scripture in the New Testament is you'll find seven different places that speak to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Seven times, and in the New Testament, you will find the baptism of the Holy Spirit mentioned. 
Five of those times have everything to do with the prophetic word of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's going to happen. It's going to come. One day you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit of the living God. Uh, one time it's simply historical. What do you mean historical? What I mean by that is when you're reading through the book of Acts, you will see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what that was, was it was letting, Gentile, letting the Jewish people know that the Gentiles are now a part of the family of God. They're equals with you. There was a delay in the baptism. And it's simply historical so that we can see that, hey, listen, even as a Gentile, I belong. And so we praise God for that. One of them, one of them talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is doctrinal. What do you mean by that? It means this is, this is how it works. How does it work, the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God? Because there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of people that say, man, the baptism is all about, man, all of a sudden somebody starts flailing like a fish out of water. And, and that's not it. That's not it. In fact, when you're talking about the Holy Spirit of God, go back to the fruit of the Spirit. A lot of times what we do is we look at an experience and we elevate an experience above Scripture. You always, always interpret experiences through Scripture. What do you mean by that? Well, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I was just testing you. (laughs) Self-control. Say, man, I just lost control. The Holy Spirit of God got a hold of me. I don't think so. Self-control, fruit of the Spirit. So what does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit of the living God? Do I got to look for it? Does it come after my salvation? What happens? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, only verse that's really doctrinal when it comes to what do we believe about the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God? For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. In other words, when you're talking about believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you got saved, you were immersed, you were given the Holy Spirit of God from head to toe, baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so, we, so, so we're baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. So, so, so here's the deal. Be careful because some people would say, man, you just need to be baptized by the Spirit of God like you have this Shazam moment apart from your salvation, and that's not true. But the Bible does say in Ephesians chapter number 5, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, it does say, hey, don't be drunk with wine that leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. What does that mean? Be controlled by him. Be filled. Well, man, didn't you say that you got baptized by the Spirit when you got saved? Yeah, but you know, I've heard it said this way. We leak sometimes. In fact, if if you want to say, how does that happen? Well, there's two ways that the Bible speaks of. Why aren't we experiencing power? There's two ways. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God and we can quench the Holy Spirit of God. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God and we can quench the Holy Spirit of God. When do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? When God says, I don't want you to, and you say, but I will. Stop the fornication, but I will. Stop the adultery, but I will. Don't be prideful, but I am. It quenches 
the Holy Spirit of God. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God. To quench the Holy Spirit of God. When does that happen? When do we quench? Is there a difference between the two? We quench the Holy Spirit of God when the Holy Spirit of God says, go, and we say no. I'm leading in this direction. I don't want to go there. We quench what he's doing. When you're talking about the Holy Spirit of the living God, he wants to use you. He has an, he, he, he's indwelling within the heart of the believer. But our sin, our sin, unconfessed can choke out the life. It impacts every area of our spiritual life. You know, we, we're a people that we just don't take sin seriously anymore. It's as if, it's as if we treat sin with the, with the wink like, well, everybody's doing it. I, I, did, did y'all by chance see Friday night, the rainbow? Some of you did. Oh, if you didn't, you missed it. But anyways, rainbow. What an incredible promise of God. Aren't you thankful for the rainbow? But this morning, the rain's coming down. Ought to be a reminder to us that God does take sin seriously. Oh, he's merciful. It's a reminder. He's merciful. He's good. He's faithful. But he's also just. And he's also righteous. You know, we look back at the Old Testament and we see these stories in the Old Testament, the story of the rainbow, right? The story of the rainbow. And, and, and where did it come from? Well, God created the rainbow. And it's to serve as a continual reminder after the flood. You remember the flood that happened because of the unrighteousness of people on the planet? And so God flooded everybody and everything. And a lot of times people will look at that and say, well, that's the Old Testament and God's the, you know, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and there's a difference I would say, no, he's the same God, same God yesterday, today, and forever. And he always takes sin seriously, and the problem is we don't. Why are we missing power? Because we're quenching and we're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, he wants to do great work. It's not about living however you want to live, because here's the pattern that's oftentimes practiced Man, we're, we're experiencing grace and saving grace, and we praise God for that. And we, and we experience his mercy, and we're thankful for that. But it's as if we live life how we want to live life, and then say, but I'm going to pray and get it right, and then it's going to be okay. Can I ask you something? You ever feel like your prayer's not going any more than the height of the ceiling? Do you know that sin has a dramatic effect, a devastating effect on my prayer life, on the effectiveness of my prayers? <clears throat> you know, when we say, man, I want to pray for this and pray for that, well, how are we living? The Bible says in James chapter 5 and verse number 16, in the prayer offered in faith, we restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. That's not where I was looking Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You know, in Scripture, really in the New Testament, when he talks about righteous, 
of a righteous person. When we're saved, positionally, we are declared righteous. In other words, in other words when I call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm saved. And when I get saved, my sin debt is paid complete. And I am proclaimed as righteous. So my position before God is righteous. But, but when it also speaks of righteousness, sometimes it speaks to the practical application of righteousness. And what that means is this. I don't attain my righteousness, but are my attitudes and actions right? My, my, my practice. Because my practice will impact my prayer life. He says there's a method to accomplishing the work of God. I'm empowering you. And then he gives us his plan laid out as part of the method. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And even to the remotest part of the earth. There's a plan. What does God say? I want you to just be my witnesses. I'm not calling you to be a prosecuting attorney. In other words, it's not my job to go out and tell everybody why they're going to hell. I'm not a prosecuting attorney. But, I, but I'm also not a defense attorney. In other words, a lot of times we get afraid because it's like, I got to defend. No, he didn't call you to defend. He didn't call you to prosecute. But simply to be a witness. I just want to share my story. I want to share with you what I know to be true about Jesus Christ, that God Almighty sent his one and only son into this world, and he loves you dearly, and he loves me. And there was a time in my life, man, when I was a sinful, and I recognized it. The Holy Spirit of God opened my eyes, and I recognized, man, I, I, I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I've missed the mark. And I know that my sin separates me from a holy God. And there was a time in my life when somebody told me that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And he paid the price for me. And that he conquered the death. Man, he, he was put in a grave and three days later he rose from the dead. And, and, and there was a time in my life when I just said, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Please forgive me. And he's changed me. I'm still in the process, but he's changed me. He's changed the desires. I still have some of the fleshly desires, but I have the new desires that he's given to me. I want to love him. I want to obey him. I want to honor him in everything I do. My want to's, he gave to me. He changed me on the inside, on the inside. Do you have a story to tell? Do you have a, hey, if you're saved, you have a story to tell. He says, I want you to be witnesses, first in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts. In other words, he says, start right where you are. He puts you where you are for a reason. I mean, the significance that that ought to bring to life. I'm not just a student out at Lincoln High School and in that stinking sorry class with that boring teacher just because. <laughs> I mean, not. Not that that's what you say, but I'm just saying. But it could be that there's a young man or a young woman that's perishing and that God has a predetermined person to bring him hope. And it might be you. And I'm not just talking, I'm talking, all of us, all of us. 
He says, I want you to be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, to share your story. He says, this, is all, this ought to serve as motivation. So here's the godly motivation behind everything else. We have a message to share. There's a method, how you go about sharing it. And here's the motivation. 9 through 11, as the story goes, and you can read all about it, the disciples are standing there, and Jesus ascends. Can you believe that? (laughs) And you know what he said back in John chapter 14? He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, hey, rest assured, I'm coming again. I'm going to receive you unto myself. And there they are standing there looking up into the heavens, and the angel comes up and starts to speak to them, right? Men of Galilee, verse number 11, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. What's he saying? He's saying, one of these days, I'm coming again. One of these days, I'm coming again. And do you know that the early church, they were excited because, man, we have a risen Savior. They were ignited because the Holy Spirit of God had come and he's indwelling them richly, greatly, Acts chapter 2 and following. And they turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But do you know what their motivation was? We, we have a fancy word for it. It's called the eminent view of the return of Jesus Christ. The eminent view of what is that? That means he's coming again. I don't know when, but it could be today. He's coming again. I know he's coming again. I don't know when. But I'm expecting it today. There was an expectancy. And when you expect it, it'll change how you live. I may not have tomorrow procrastination. One of the greatest tools in the toolbox of the devil that he uses with us. Hey, it's not the right time. There'll be a better time. There'll be a better time. How do you know? Well, I'm not promised tomorrow. I might not be here. And furthermore, he's coming again. And when he comes again, I'm going to stand before him and give an account. Have I done what he's called me to do? God help me to be faithful. God, help me to be faithful. It's so easy. Listen back to the beginning. It is so easy to get all muddied up in the weeds of religious activity. When God says, hey, I've got a message for you to carry. And I'll enable you and empower you to carry it. Because through you, I want to change the world. Not just maintain your religious establishment. I want to change the world. God, help me. Help me to be a believer of whom it might be said. I don't know a lot about them, but I know that they are excited and ignited by the Holy Spirit of the living God. God, help me to be what he's called me to be. Would you do me a favor and join me for a time of prayer this morning? And We're going to pray and... Just a couple of questions. First one, most important, most important. Have you been saved? 
man, there's been a time in your life when you recognize that I am a sinner. And I do believe that Jesus Christ paid my debt on a cross. And that he conquered death in the grave. He only stayed there three days and he's alive. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And one day he's coming again. And I want to repent of my sin. Received the gift of forgiveness and the gift of life from him. And I want him to be my Lord and Savior. I want to live for him. That's a picture and description of repentance. Ever been a time in your life when you called on his name to be saved? And if not, I'm inviting you today to call on his name. We're going to sing a song in just a moment after we sing this song. I'm inviting you to come. We'll be down front, pray with you, talk with you, help you in any way. But number two, I, I want to ask the believers just a question. And the question is this. Are you still excited that there's a risen Savior? Or is it just common? Because it's become common, I, I really treat Jesus with contempt. It's not a big deal anymore. Man, a risen Savior. <laughs> Let me ask you, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you quenching or grieving? I don't know what it is in your life, but a lot of times what we do is we allow the devil to get a stronghold, whatever that looks like for you. We leak. Missing the power. I want to invite you this morning to repent. You know, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And you may be here this morning saying, man, I know I'm born again. I know I'm a believer, but boy, I've been struggling so much that I don't even know if God wants me to come back to him anymore. Come. Repent. The Bible says that when we repent, we experience times of rejoicing in his presence. Oh, God wants to do a great work in and through you, in and through us as a body. And I pray, oh, that we would be the people that he's called us to be. After I pray, we'll sing. After we sing, if you'd like, you can come. Speak with us. We're here for you. Father, thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your kindness, for your goodness, God, for your grace that's greater than all my sin. Thank you. And God, this morning, I'm asking if you would please just help us to be still for a moment. God, I pray that you would search our hearts. God, I pray for those that may be here in the, in the, in the room or, or maybe online, Father, that have never called on your name. God, your Holy Spirit gives life. And so, God, please, by your Spirit, knock, draw. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, that you would shine your light into the darkest places of our life. God, wherever we might be hiding, Father, whatever it is in our life that's not pleasing to you, I pray today that, God, we would have a broken and contrite spirit. God, that we would be a repentant people, that you would fill us, empower us. <laughs> oh, God, 
that this world would say, wow, they turned the world upside down. The gospel. Help us, God. We love you and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.